This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Today's episode is brought to you by cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. Hi, I'm Mark from Marinda Safeway. We offer great savings on groceries, but did you know we also offer savings at the pump? Earn 10 cents off per gallon when you spend $100 at Safeway stores. Enter your phone number or swipe your club card at the register and earn points. Redeem your rewards at participating Chevron, Texaco, and Safeway gas stations. Maximum gas reward at participating Chevron or Texaco stations is 20 cents per gallon and $1 per gallon at Safeway stations in a single fill-up, up to 25 gallons. Other restrictions and exclusions apply. See complete details at Safeway.com forward slash reward. This is Mark from Marinda Safeway, and we'll see you soon. Blog Talk Radio. Hi, I'm Ryan Tannehill, quarterback for the Miami Dolphins, and I represent the Fence Sider with the PH. Hey guys, it's Friday night. We're messing with James's ability to handle his single business, or however he worded it during the. Uh, during the uh, Finsider TV episode. But uh, it is Friday night. It's time to talk some Miami Dolphins stuff here on Finsider Podcast. You can hear James laughing in the background. Uh, if you want to give us a call, the number is 347-326-9461. It's 347-326-9461. You can also hit us up on the Finsider page at thefinsider.com. Hit us up there. We have a live thread during all of these shows. So you can get in there and ask your questions that way. You can also always hit us up on Twitter, at The Finsider. Let us know your questions that way, and we'll talk to them on air also. And we do have the chat room open on Blog Talk Radio's site for The uh, for the Finsider. So if you want to jump on there to listen to the show on their site and chat with us in the chat room, you can do that too. So there's a ton of ways to get a hold of us, a ton of ways to talk to us and Get your questions on the air. And with that, James, how are you tonight? I'm good. How are you? I am doing well. <laughs> um, we, we we also have uh, Chris in the house with us tonight. Oh, hey, Duke. How are you? All right. I am, 
I am not on the board page, if you didn't notice, James. <laughs> I, I, I noticed. <laughs> I, I'm reading that Scott Salmon from over at Gangrene Nation is uh, asking us, is it true that if you do not use it, you lose it? Asking for a friend. I'm listening in. So, um, it's good to know that he's listening in. Let's put it that way. <laughs> we don't use what? What, are, what is he speaking of? Um, he, he's a Jets fan. I mean, come on. He's a Jets fan. <laughs> if you don't, if you don't use your AFC Championship game appearances to make it to the Super Bowl, you end up losing all control of your Mark Sanchez quarterback. Um, that could be it. That, that's a valid point. Make two uh, AFC championships, don't make the Super Bowl, and then Mark Sanchez falls apart. I like it. Um, okay, so, game coming up this weekend. Obviously, it's a big game. It's home opener, so lots of stuff to be excited about. Uh, hopefully, the crowd there is nice and loud and ready to go and give the team a home field advantage. But, uh Obviously, there's also concerns. Ryan Tannehill has been on the injury list all week. He was probable and a full participant in practice today. So there's really not going to be a concern there. I think that in the end, this is simply the team went, you kind of banged that shoulder kind of hard. Let's just give you a few days to rest it. And that's probably exactly what they did. Gave him a couple days to rest it, which would be uh, Wednesday. Let him miss part of practice. Thursday's the day off, and then he's back today for full participation in practice. So I'm I'm really not worried about Tannehill, but it was kind of a surprise when all of a sudden he pops up on the injury report. Um, Paul Soliai and uh, Dimitri Patterson were ruled out. That's two big names that the team could use and definitely could use this week. So that that's going to hurt. But I think as a whole, the Dolphins actually are more healthy than the Falcons. The Falcons had a horrible, horrible week between guys that are out, guys that are injured, and guys that went on to IR. It's just a rough week for the Falcons. I think that, yes, it looks bad for the Dolphins, but in the end, they're coming out healthier and probably going to do a to to have an advantage over the Falcons because of that. Don't everybody talk at once. <laughs> I agree. Okay, nobody talk. Okay. <laughs> As it all goes silent all of a sudden. But um, what do you looking at the? Have you had a chance to look at the injury list yet? Duke, I have not. Okay. Well, here, let me real quick, I can give you the rundown of it as soon as my computer decides to load. It does not want to load. There it goes. Okay. It is good radio right there. Okay. Patterson, Solii out. Clemens. Devlin, Meesey, Pouncey, Wallace, questionable. Davis, Ellerby, Garner, Jerry, Jordan, Tannehill, Taylor, 
Vernon, and Wilson probable. So I think that, I mean, obviously Tannehill's the big name there, like I said, but you are going to have concern given that at questionable are Pouncey and Wallace. And they were both limited in practice today. So it is it is a concern that your number one uh, wide receiver is only questionable. And even probably more so than that, Pouncey being questionable is pretty serious. He, The Dolphins definitely need him out there. Yeah, the, the Wallace thing kind of concerns me a little bit, but I think he'll play. I think they'll all play. I do, too. I, I Absolutely. I think, obviously, Patterson and Foley are out, but everybody else I think will play. Um, maybe... Maybe not Taylor or very little for Taylor, but he's probably the only other one that you won't see a lot of. Um, Garner is a backup anyway, so you won't see a whole lot of him. Um, those are those are probably where your injuries end up. I'm trying to run through the list again, look, and – LRB, LRB, I expect to be out there. Davis, I expect to be out there. Uh, Jerry will be out there because he really wants to go up against his brother this week. Jordan, I think, will be out there. Tannehill will be out there. Taylor, they could sit him. Um, He was a full participant in practice. He was a full participant, I think, all week. I don't think he was limited at all this week. But if you decide to sit him, I, I don't have an issue with that. Maybe with Patterson out, they feel like they have to play him. So he may or may not be out there. Vernon will play. Um, The interesting part is going to be if Clemens, who is questionable, doesn't play, and Patterson is out, where does Jimmy Wilson play? Does Wilson become the safety next to Rashad Jones? Does he move up to become the cornerback, the nickel corner in the slot? Do they pull? Uh, that'll be interesting to watch to see how they work the uh, the secondary if Chris Clemens can't go. Yeah, it's possible that Clemens, if he doesn't go, that McCray will take his spot and um, Wilson will still man the nickel. Depends on how they feel about Davis. Yep. I think that I think you could see that. I think you could see exactly that. That if Davis is ready to go, he's in there at the nickel, and you put Wilson back at safety. And I I think I know a lot of people have issues with Wilson right now. Um, he doesn't turn his hips very well, or he, he let me let me not say that. Let me say he doesn't change direction as smoothly as you would want. So he will end up getting beat by guys who make double moves just because he turns and he can't switch back as quickly. So I really think that Wilson Wilson will be a very good safety once the team can use him as a safety instead of a half safety, half cornerback hybrid. I think he'll be a fine safety. Not, I mean, he's not going to be Rashad Jones out there, but uh, I think you're going to see a, uh, <laughs> oh good. Thanks, Scott. Scott Salmon just pushed out uh okay. 
he, he's talking the franchise and everything, but then uh, he he posts on Gang Green Nation's Twitter that our friends at the Finside are doing a podcast now. He's you know, like calling in and making fun of them and gave the link. So we may or may not end up with some fun-filled uh, Jets callers tonight. <laughs> um, but on the injury front, I think that I think we're going to be fine. Uh, Omar tweeted out something kind of strange. Today he said there is an injury in the linebackers that is only going to get worse the more the player plays, but the player's not going to sit out. He's going to tough through it. And I think part of that is a stipulation saying that the reporters won't report on an injury if they see one. Um, But... I don't know. I mean, Koamisi's listed as questionable, limited in practice with a knee injury. Ellerby is his peck and ribs are his injury, but he's listed as full and probable. So those are the two linebackers that are listed that way. So I don't know what he's talking about, but it'll be interesting to watch and see if on Sunday we see a linebacker who is clearly slow to step, but is still out there fighting through something. Um, going through the, yeah, I don't know. Going through the Falcons uh, injury report, Sam Baker, left tackle, was added to the um, out list with Steven Jackson. So he is out of the game. Questionable are wide receiver Julio Jones, defensive end Cliff Matthews, cornerback Asante Samuel, and wide receiver Roddy White, while Fullback, or I'm sorry, linebacker, there we go, Akeem Dent and center Peter Collins are probable. So I I fully expect both Jones and White to be out there. Uh, Rodney White has had this same high ankle injury all season. He's made the first two games. So I'm not really expecting, uh, expecting him to miss the game. But the fact that both Julio Jones and Roddy White are a little binged up, um, it could be a, it could be a good sign for the Dolphins, especially in a secondary that apparently is going to be without Patterson and maybe without Clemens and maybe wherever Jimmy Wilson is, given that he's actually listed on the injury report too. So a lot of questions up in the air. But that's the injury report as we go through this and get ready for Sunday. And I just closed my live thread. So if you have a question on the live thread, while I bring that back up, we'll go ahead and bring Tin Pan for Life on the line. Hey, Tin Pan for Life, how are you tonight? I'm all right. Um, What's up? A couple of things about the the injury report. Um, Well, first and foremost, if Wallace can't play this game, I don't think it will be a huge loss for us because of the way the Falcons are set up. Basically, in order to beat them, you have to get them with short and intermediate passes. So, that being said, while I would like to see Wallace out there, I don't think it'll be a huge loss. Um, Another question I have is, with our safety depth the way it is, and... 
his penchant for wanting to take chances and peeking into the backfield, would it be wise to possibly see Will Davis play a little bit of a safety? I don't really trust Jones, the other Jones, Don Jones or whatever his name is. Right. But, I mean, it might be a little interesting to have two people who like taking risks playing in that backfield, especially with the fact that he likes, you know, peeking into the backfield so much. It gives him like a wider vision base in order to see what's going on. So maybe he might not have to look back so much. It's it's definitely a possibility. I think that if any of the cornerbacks slide back there, it's going to be Wilson. Um, I just I think that they really like the way Davis moves. Yes, he he peeks in the backfield. That's a rookie thing. That's him trying to make a play. He, he'll get out of that and he'll learn from that. Um, and you're right. If we put him out there at cornerback, it will be a risk. But it's also a risk to have Nolan Carroll out there. Um, really the only cornerback on the team that you can say, absolutely it does not seem like a risk to have out there, is Brent Grimes. So I, it, it, it's got to be a consideration, but I think that they stick with him playing cornerback. He's probably at the most the nickel. More likely he's probably the fourth cornerback, and they would slide Kelsey McCray like Duke said at safety and move Jimmy Wilson up. I think Wilson is perfectly suited for the Chris Clemens role because he's not the go up and make the play flashy corner or uh, safety type. He's the, he's that last line of defense going to be back there going to make sure that nobody gets deep. And that, that's what Chris Clemens is, and that's what lets Rashad Jones go be Rashad Jones. So I think that's what you're going to see is is Wilson probably, if Clemens can't go, Wilson probably starts, he moves into the nickel, and Kelsey McCray comes over and becomes the other safety next to Rashad Jones. That would be my guess. Mm-hmm. That would work either way. I just thought that they said that Wilson was also questionable. He he is probable. He does have a – is it groin injury? I think that's what it is. I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. Um, I think it's a groin injury. But he, he is listed on there, but he was a full participant in practice, and he is probable for the game. What's up with all these groin injuries all across the NFL? Like – Every team has them. Is it stretching or the new practice? I, I, I think it's practices. Um, I think it's. I think it's the fact that they don't practice as hard or as long anymore. So these mm-hmm. guys are trying to. They're trying to go hard in a limited amount of time, but they're not going full out hard. So once they get to, especially once they get to the preseason games or the regular season games, now they're suddenly trying to step it up that extra notch. And groin muscles, hamstrings, those are so easy to pull when all of a sudden you're exerting yourself a little bit more than you have been. And I, I think that's why you're seeing that, is that it's it's a 
part of the well, we gave back some of the practices in the uh in training camp and the preseason. So now you're starting to see some of these other injuries pop up a little bit more. Uh, and something I haven't seen us mention on the Dolphins site at all, even though we've played both of these teams, is the Trent Richardson trade. We uh, talked it on we talked it on Wednesday, um uh-huh. during the Finsider T V show. We we did talk uh-huh. it. It's I'm very happy that it happened after we played the Colts because I think it does that was give them a spot too. Um I think that what we did to the Colts and how they realized how limited their run game was since Vic Ballard is out, that they had to make the move. So um, in the end, is it going to hurt the Dolphins? It could if the Colts find a way to get hot and manage to run off a bunch of wins. But the good thing is the Dolphins have the tiebreaker over the Colts right now anyway because we beat them head-to-head. Yeah. And uh, sorry. If it's all right if I talk a little bit of next offseason, I do have two names. Um, Okay. I know we have a ton of offensive line and defensive line hitting the free agency, and we're not going to be able to resign all of them. Um, but a couple of names as I was going through the lists, um, pulling up kind of struck me as, like, lists of free agents. And one was Eben Brighton. Um, he's supposedly going to be the starting right tackle in Chicago right now. Um, he's a free agent next year. And He's actually pretty cheap. They signed him for like pennies on a dollar, less than a million for a one-year contract. Um, so next season he could be had cheaper than we even got Tyson Claybow. Um, Would that be a good name? And another name, if we aren't able to re-sign Incognito, is Kevin Booth from the Giants. I think what that do you is- think about? If we let if we let Incognito go, I think that's the team saying that they are ready for uh, Dallas Thomas to come in as a guard. I think that's probably what they're saying there. Um, and the thing to watch is, obviously, the coaching staff likes Will Yeatman, and they see something in him. And he's only a little over a year from being a tight end. So he's still got some rough spots. He still has some things to work out at being a tackle. But mm-hmm. I I wouldn't rule him out as the replacement for Claybo. Now, that being said, would I be surprised if the Dolphins go out and either in the draft or free agency ad- address offensive line? And, I mean, in the draft I'm talking early first-round, second-round picks on – Offensive line, I, I wouldn't be because the skill positions, yes, you can always add more skill positions, but the Dolphins are so locked up right now with everything other than tight end and re-signing Brent Grimes that you could just say, you know what, this is going to end up being a offensive lineman heavy draft to get us a 
offensive line that's going to protect Tannehill because that's what it's going to come down to. Tannehill cannot be taking nine sacks every two games. And part of that is he holds the ball a little bit too long. He said it himself there were a few times where he should have stepped up half a step in the pocket. He didn't, and it let the guy get right around the tackle and get to him. So there are there are ways that the Dolphins can get better. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know about somebody like Britton. Um, it, it, it's a good question, but I don't know. Because I know, like, in the second... The In the second round, I like that corn. I mean, that wide receiver from Vanderbilt. He's about six three, two ten. Awesome ball skills. I mean, he's basically he was projected as a first round pick, but with all this offensive line, defensive line, everything else, it seems like wide receiver is the class to fall this year. And I mean, he does have a little bit of the Brandon Marshallitis. But I like him. Uh, His name escapes me right now, which is really bad because my mom works for Vanderbilt, so I should know his name. (laughs) Um, Jordan Matthews. Yes, Jordan Matthews. That's it. Yeah, that's the guy that I was thinking about in the second round. But, I mean, there's a lot of offensive line help and free agency that can be had on the cheap. So I'm just wondering if we have to do all of that in the draft or if it'd be wise to just pull, like, one veteran and maybe draft one guy, you know, as far as, like, to replace. Because having, like, two or three rookies on the line, well. Yeah, it it, it would be a concern. Um, but I I really... I really don't see it as a bad thing at this point, simply because what are the Dolphins going to do? If they go out and get a top-flight number one wide receiver, is he going to unseat Mike Wallace? No. Could he unseat Brian Hartline? He could, but we're seeing Hartline has the skills to be that perfect complement to Wallace. Is he going to unseat Brandon Gibson? Probably not. Um he could, but we did just pay Gibson a bunch of money, so they're not really looking for a number three. Um, you could go get a running back. I, I don't have an issue with that, but I don't want to use a first-round pick on a running back. I mean, I know the, the Trent Richardson trade just went for a first-round pick, but mm-hmm. I think that's a desperation move on the Colts' part. Um I think that's also a move by the Browns saying that they probably should have taken Tannehill instead of Richardson, but that's just me. Uh, I think that you, you could, you very much so could. And if the Dolphins went out and got a wide receiver, if they went out and got a running back, if they went out and got a cornerback, or even if they went and got another defensive end, I'm not going to complain because we are in the era where, You need somebody who can run the ball. You need somebody who can catch the ball. You need somebody who can stop somebody from catching the ball. And you have to have somebody who can rush the quarterback. And if the Dolphins are lining up six defensive ends out there and rushing Tom Brady 
and making him wish he didn't say that he wanted to play till he's 50, I'm not really going to complain. But I think that you do – at some point, they're going to have to make an investment in the offensive line. And I know a lot of Dolphins fans aren't going to like to hear that because we've gone through a decade of investing in the offensive line. And I'm not saying that we haven't. But, I mean, think about the investments we've made. Jake Long isn't here. Um, a lot of the guys that we've invested in aren't here for whatever reason, whether it was bad coaching so they never developed, whether it was suddenly they became injury-prone and they had to leave, whatever the reasoning for whatever per, whatever reason, they aren't here anymore. So there is still an investment that has to be made to the offensive line again. Well, a lot of the earlier it was just risk-reward type deals, like with Jake Grove and yep. Smiley and, you know, even Turnstile over there. You know, it was a lot of risk-reward type moves. And really, I think that was a penchant for us to say, hey, you know, we're going to stop spending on the offensive line. You're here for a season or two, we'll give you the contract, but two or three years down the road, you're gone, and that's that. But I'm going to cut this short after two quick things. Number one, how smart does it look that we went and picked up Deion Jordan instead of old boy? And (laughs) number two, you know, contrast comparison, it's night. Uh, I think we lost him fair for life, right? As he's making his last point. Yeah. Hey, Finn, Finn for life. Sorry, we lost you right on your last point, so I don't know what you were going with there. But um, we do have Marlon Finn, 56, or as Duke would call him, 56, uh, in the line. So let's go ahead and welcome him in. Hey, what's up, man? In the line. So let's go ahead and welcome him in. Hey, what's up, man? Hey, guys, what's going on? Not much. How are you? I'm doing all right. How about you guys? Another good night, and we just talked Dalton, so it's always good. So, what's on your mind? All right. I actually got a couple things. Uh, I'm looking at an article on the Bleacher Report by Chris Kaufman, and I see some very interesting stuff going on here. Um, Apparently, we have a little issue. We don't know for sure if we should be blitzing Matt Ryan the whole time because his last two seasons, it seems that he's been having issues with the blitzing because his passer rating drops just a little bit when he's getting blitzed. This season, however, it would seem that his passer rating is up to 132.6 when he is blitzed, yeah. and when he's not being blitzed, Ryan's passer rating goes to 93.5. 93.4? Okay. Yep. Yeah. It, so that's it, a, it definitely hmm? is looking like he has figured out how to um, operate against the blitz, but at the same time, I, I think you have to take that at least a little bit with a grain of salt, because a blitz from um, the Buccaneers, or I'm sorry, not the Buccaneers, the, uh, the, the, who they play first? The Saints. There we go. The Saints, or a blitz from the Rams, especially, is not the same thing as a blitz from these Dolphins. Now, take into account, there have been times where we've been beaten because we blitzed and the wrong linebacker or the wrong safety came in and left a big hole right there, right where uh, the quarterback was looking to throw the ball. So there have been times, but this 
Dolphins blitz, I think, is different than anything that the Falcons have seen yet. And with the injuries they have to their offensive line, it Ryan Ryan against the blitz is not going to be my worry. My worry is going to be more on can the cornerbacks cover. So the blitz will impact that, but if he's tearing up the blitz, I think it's more of the fact that our cornerbacks are not covering than it is the blitz is getting beat, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, therein lies the problem. See, if, we have, if the blitz is going to be so powerful anyway, then what say we just – um, drop a couple linebackers and put like an extra safety or an extra corner out there just to help out with the uh, secondary and stuff. You could. I mean, you could see a big nickel where you end up with a third safety out there. Um, you you very much so could see this team run nickel or dime packages more against the Falcons than they have already. Um, and this team is – I mean, look at, uh, look at the – that counts from last week. The formation that the Dolphins have used the most is Jimmy Wilson at cornerback and uh, Randy Starks in at defensive tackle over Solei. And part of that came because Solei left the game for injury. But it absolutely 100% is Misi out of the game and Wilson in is the most commonly used formation the Dolphins have used this year. And that is, again, dictated by what the offenses against them are doing, and you're seeing more three wide receiver sets, so Wilson's coming in more and Kolomisi's going out. But it absolutely 100% you're right. I mean, you could very much so see an extra defensive back get thrown in there just so that you don't um, you don't give up that big play as you're trying to get to Ryan. Yeah, I get I think, that. All right. I think Problem with I think the problem with the blitz is number one, I think a lot of people, um, well, you know, guys like Chris Kaufman and, and Pro Football Focus and guys like that won't will make this mistake. But a lot of your guys on TV will say, well, Miami does a lot of blitzing when it's actually not blitzing. And I think it's a misnomer that comes from people say, well, Pittsburgh likes to run the zone blitz, and I yeah. think it's more appropriate to say zone rush. A blitz is when you send five or more rushers. Um or it depends on your you know, it depends on your defensive front. Um with a with a four three if we're running a four man line, a blitz would technically be five rushers. Now I think Miami's showing a lot of blitz packages but only sending four guys, whether that be a linebacker, um coming in on a gap or something like that and dropping a defensive end or somebody back in coverage. Um, so we, I think, you know, they may be talking about that we're actually blitzing more. I think in this game, you know, I think we had to blitz Andrew Luck because our defensive uh, our defensive line wasn't getting to the quarterback um, well enough to, to create pressure. Um, they actually didn't really start getting to him until the end of the game. I think with if if we're struggling to to beat this uh, Atlanta offensive line with their weaknesses at tackle, if we can't generate pressure with just a standard four man rush or a general zone rush, whatever we whatever we're doing there, then we're going to struggle just because you know this is probably going to be the worst offensive line we're going to face uh, you know all season. I mean these guys have 
weaknesses at tackle, injuries at tackle. So we've got we should have should have the the horses in there that can can beat those guys. So I'm hoping that we just avoid the blitz this this week. Um, stay away from it and just try to generate pressure with with our front four. And I think we can do that. I think you bring up the good point, too, that there's a lot of times where Misi or Wheeler or Ellerby or Rashad Jones, one of those guys, are coming in. But at the same time, Wake or Deion Jordan or Olivier Vernon are dropping back into coverage. So it looks like a blitz because you have that linebacker or that secondary guy coming across the line of scrimmage going after the quarterback, but you still have the seven other guys in coverage because one of the linemen dropped back into coverage. So, yeah, it, it's a good point that what what determines a blitz? And one thing that you'll notice with with this defense, with what, with what Coyle does, is he likes to he likes to show pressure on the A-gaps. Yeah, uh, We saw it a lot last year with Dansby and Burnett. They will crowd the line of scrimmage, one on either side of the center, and sometimes they would blitz or sometimes they would come on a rush, and then other times they would drop back. So you will see that look a lot. And, you know, if – and these these guys on TV, I mean, they have their production meetings and stuff, but they're not – they're not keeping up with it like, you know, fans are, in my opinion, just because they've got to cover it all these games every week. So, you know, fans are like, well, we, we, we're seeing this now. They're just saying, oh, Miami, they're, you know, look, looks like they're getting ready to blitz. Well, that's just a look that we, we use a lot. So, um, I mean, I think we're going to see pressure from different areas. I think, you know, if this, if this coaching staff is worth their salt, um, they're going to – Generate. They're going to attack weaknesses. In this case, the weaknesses is, uh, are, the, are the tackles. So they're going to send Wake out there. Um, they're going to. I don't think they're going to use him in a lot of those funny packages where he's standing up, moving around. I think they're just going to let him tee off the guy he's up against. And the same with um, with Shelby or Vernon or Jordan or whoever's on the on the right side. So I think that's how they're going to. Work the work the pressure this week. Um, now the guards, Atlanta's guards, uh, seem to be pretty good. The interior line's not that bad, so um, I think it's going to be tougher for Audric and Starks than the ends. But I still think those guys can generate some pressure. So if we can do that, what that allows us to do is allows us to with uh, with receivers hurt, it allows us to shade coverage a little bit on Gonzalez. On Jones, um, and uh, take those things away. And if we can do that, then that's going to give, you know, if you can prevent those guys from just getting wide open, then that's going to open up that pass rush even more. So they're going to kind of work hand in hand. So I don't know. I mean, it's kind of one of those things, you know, we were expecting that to happen against the Colts, and it didn't. So I'm expecting this defensive line to step up a little bit after they kind of got after they kind of got, you know, beat last week. And, I mean, that's – they didn't get even the sense of they just looked awful. But by the standards that we've set for them and that they've set for themselves, they didn't look good. And with the type of players that they have on that line, I think we're going to see them really step up this week 
and it would not surprise me to see our defensive line get anywhere between four to seven sacks this week. Wow, that's a big one. Four to seven, man. All right, here's open. <laughs> well, and I mean, you got to think, I mean, Wake was shut out pretty much last week, and I just don't see that happening again this week, not against, not against these guys. And from what I've read, Atlanta doesn't like to use help. They're not going to, they're, they're not going to leave Tony Gonzalez in there to block a lot. He's going to be running around. So, yeah, I know Gonzo blocking a lot now at this point. And, and it's different when you have when you have good to average pass rushers. Wake is, is, is an elite pass rusher. He is one of the best of the best. As we saw, I think, in week one, he got in the backfield in less than two seconds or something. So they're going to have to do something to stop him. I think he's going to he's going to want to, um, you know, get off that, you know, the bad week. And so I think he I think he himself, you know, could be like the, the Cardinals game last year. I think he himself could get four sacks. No, I won't guarantee that or even predict that, but I think he will have opportunities to do so. And with him teeing off like that, it's going to open up the other guys. If I'm Atlanta, my game plan is short, quick passes to get the ball out of his hands, uh, out of Ryan's hands, so that that pass rush can't, can't, you know, get to him. But that plays into the Dolphins' hands because that, you know, determines kind of what we can do on defense, and it takes away some of their big plays from guys like Jones and, and White and stuff. Yep, that, well, that, that's the thing. Cameron Wade's going to be double-teamed a lot, which kind of leads into my next question. Um, the Deion Jordan thing. See, I, didn't get, I didn't, wasn't that interested in football back when, you know, Jason Taylor was doing his rookie season. So that got me to thinking, um, is it, would it be fair to give the rookie comparisons with Deion Jordan and JT? Uh, does, does it look like he's projecting to do more or less or somewhat equal to whatever it was that JT did in his rookie season? Um. Well, I think I think Taylor only had what four sacks or five sacks his rookie year. Five his rookie and year, nine nine as a sophomore, uh, two and a half his third year, and then that's when he turned it on. And his fourth year was fourteen and a half. Um. Well, I mean, Jordan has one already. He could have had two with that play against Andrew Luck, which I've seen. It. Yes. You know, I think that kind of called both ways that he let up because of a penalty or he let up because he thought the ball was thrown. Either way, he was there. He holds on. That's a sack. So that's one sack a game. That's already two. So I think he's got the potential. And I think one of the differences is when when Taylor came into the league, it was still in kind of that the old school league where you are you were allowed to hit people. Well, you were allowed to hit people, but it was a run still very run-oriented, whereas as we've seen this season, you're getting guys, guys that you would never expect to get 40 and 50 attempts a game. Um, Tannehill has 72 pass attempts in two games, and that doesn't count dropbacks where he was sacked. He was sacked nine times, so he's dropped back to pass 81 times in two games. Um, and he's not even, he's, he's about midway in the league in terms of attempts. So, you know, you're seeing a league where guys are just dropping back and passing and just passing a lot, getting all those attempts. And so just by, you know, law of averages, more times a guy drops back to pass, 
the more opportunity there's going to be for sacks. So I think you're going to see these sack numbers go up as well as part of that. But I think we are seeing Jordan display some of that athletic ability and and some and uh, you know some of the some of what you know what we brought him in here for. You know he's going up against um, he went up against Joe Thomas week one, and that's. You know, I fully expected him and Vernon and everyone else to get shut down on that side just because he's Jeff Thomas. And Nick Costanzo is, is a pretty good left tackle. I mean, he's not great by any means, but he's pretty good. So, um, you know, he, he did his thing. Now we're getting into this stretch of average mediocre, mediocre tackles. So I think if Jordan and Vernon and these guys are going to go out there and generate pressure, it's going to be against guys like um, – I can't think of his name, but the guy that Atlanta was going to trot out there this week for that tackle. If you can't get pressure against that guy, then you know, you're going to struggle with other guys. So I think we're going to start seeing just exactly what they can bring to the table and areas they can develop. So I fully expect Jordan to get somewhere around four to five sacks as a as a rookie, simply because they're not using him a lot. But you know, if he comes in and gets a couple of sacks this week or something like that, I think it's you know, his snap numbers go up, and it's possible he could get, you know, double digits or something. Well, for a top draft pick, I would sure hope so, man, because I was, I was hyped when he, we when we grabbed him. I even wrote an article uh, wanting him that JT was high on him, too. So it's like, okay, let's go for yep. it. I'd like to see some production. Yep. And I think we will as the season goes along. I think that they're going to bring him along slowly. Part of it is, they don't feel like they need to throw him in there, and part of it is they don't want to throw him in there and risk something happening to the shoulder. And that being said, I don't think that there's anything wrong with the shoulder, but obviously a year from now that shoulder is going to be stronger than it is today. It just, I mean, that's the way it works when you heal. So I think that they're just slowly bringing him along. They'll get him in there more and more, and yet, Seven snaps last week was just that. I, I was surprised by that. I think just about everybody was surprised that he only played seven snaps. But and, and another we'll, thing we'll, about Deion, another thing about Deion Jordan is, is he's not he's not good against the run as a defensive end. Yeah. His size just does not give him the advantage at this point to be able to set the edge. So if he's in there starting, right. teams are going to run at him because they know you know these. 320-pound left tackles are going to move this 260-pound guy out of the way. That's just how it is. I think Vernon's over 270. You know, Wake, he was freaking. He's a little bit in a different class than just about everyone else. But most of these guys that are uh, – most of these guys that are four, three defensive ends are usually the bigger guys, and they have to have the ability to set the edge, and he just can't do that right now. I think as you see – as you see Jordan um, into next year and in years from now, as he as they you know are able to, for him to work out and, and get bigger, get up to about 270, then I think you'll see him be able to to work on that. And that's where I think Derek Shelby should be able to get some more snaps, if not start, because I believe right now he's playing well not only as a rusher but well against the run. As so, um, I mean, if I were if I were Joe Philbin, I would not have a problem uh, starting Derek Shelby this week. Definitely yeah. not. If he's if he's a if he's a really what he says he is, he's a 
a production kind of coach, then I would expect to see Shelby starting over Vernon because Shelby's been an impact. Vernon has been the exact opposite. Well, I mean, and this is something that you shouldn't take lightly. In two games, he has two sacks, which both were strip sacks. Uh, and, you know, that, that counts for two forced fumbles. Right. And I can't remember how many pressures. And he's only played like maybe 40 or 50 total snaps. So he's generating all this in a very, very limited, you know, limited amount of opportunity. So it's not like he's getting, you know, he's 60 snaps a game he's doing this. He's getting like, you know, 15 to 20 snaps a game, and he's creating sacks and pressures, and he's playing strong against the run. So, I mean, you get, that's another one of those Jeff Ireland acorns that just happens to work. So, I mean, yeah. But six, I'm gonna have to let you go. I've got another caller on the line. All right. So, thanks very much for calling in tonight. Thanks for and, having me. Uh, yep. And uh, feel free to call in next week or jump back in the live thread if you have any more questions you want to share with us. Yeah. All right. I think I'll. Oh, sorry. I hit the dump button. Sorry. <laughs> that was that was on me. I I, I didn't. I, I was hovering over it and I didn't mean to actually click it and I did. So. Uh, 56, I'm sorry. I know you're trying to get your name changed, but I do apologize for dumping you just now. Um, we are going to bring Reggie from Houston on in just a second, but Duke, since uh, James gave us the bone-in and original hot or lemon pepper, the important question in the life for tonight is, do you prefer bone-in or bone wing, boneless wings, and what's your favorite flavor? Um, I don't care. It's all good. <laughs> I, like, I like hot um, there's a local, it's an Italian restaurant, kind of an Italian restaurant in town here, and they sell wings, and they have their own, uh, their own version of, of wing sauce, and I usually get the medium, because the meat, their medium is actually pretty hot, but it, it's got a different flavor, and they're just normal, regular, uh, bone-in wings, and those are my favorite, so... Um, I only break those wings out usually on special occasions. Most of the time, um, I just get, you know, the regular ones from, you know, Pizza Hut or somewhere else that's got wings. Um, but I also get those, uh, like those buffalo chicken tenders. I like those too. So, I mean, it's it food. It's all good. <laughs> uh, and, by the way, this came from Link, the Finn fan, who his last line is, oh, by the way, nice to meet you guys. So I'm assuming this is his first time being here, so welcome. But, uh I will go with typically. Typically, I go bone in. I'll go boneless every now and then, but I typically go bone in. Um, I, I'm a I'm a barbecue guy, so a spicy barbecue is probably the the most common flavor I will get. But there's a place called Pluckers here, and I know this is going to shock you, James, but in Central Texas, at least. You can get Dr. Pe- Dr. Pepper flavored wings, and they're actually excellent. They are just we we, we we have we have pluckers here too, man. Do you? I don't know how far up they go, but I'm yeah, only, I'm only like I'm only flavored. like an hour and a half away from you, or two hours. I know, away from but you. but Dallas <laughs> is like a home of their place. Um, so yeah. anyway, but we have we, are, we have one of every. We seem to have. We almost got a horrible echo. We seem to have one of everything here. <laughs> That's true. You guys are like 
um, the Midwest, the West, uh, Central Texas, the Southeast, all converging on Dallas. Yeah, somehow we have every restaurant in the world here. But since we are talking Texas, and I'm in just north of Austin and you're up in Dallas, why don't we get Reggie from Houston on and just complete the (coughs) straight up and down the highway here. How are you, Reggie? The trifecta. Hey, I'm good, buddy. How's it going? Doing well. Why are you down in Houston? Uh, you got to get out of there. That's Texans country. Uh, long story short, I'm from Miami. I went to Alabama State uh, University, and I played with the Oilers for four years and made my Houston my home. But I'm the biggest Dolphin fan in Texas. Okay, I guess I guess of everybody that's ever called in this show and doesn't live in uh, Florida. And granted, I don't live in Florida, but of everybody, the guy that played for the Oilers has a reason to live in Houston. I'll give him that much. <laughs> so, what's on your mind? Well, you, you guys were talking about the uh, the draft pick earlier, and it brought to my mind that the Dolphins are very, very solid at pretty much every position. And when we draft next year, except for the offensive line, we'll really be drafting for backups or somebody to push a pretty good starter. And so in my mind, it makes sense. We're in the window now that teams like the Dolphins get in where you have a great defense and you need a few pieces on offense to really compete for a championship. And, you know, New England's window is closing where Tom Brady got two, maybe three years to go before, you know, he retires. And I think that we have to really solidify our offensive line. We already have Pouncey, who's great. We don't know about Incognito. I'm sure about uh, Martin being really solid at left tackle. Claybow is a stout gap. And so, to me, we have to get the best available offensive line, and I, and I would think that we would really try to go out and get a really solid veteran guy as part of a big signing next year because we're in our window. The defense is great. You know how these things go. When we had a great defense before with Sam Madison and those guys, we didn't have an offense to match them. And when we had Marino, we didn't have a defense to match them. Well, now we have a great defense again, and we got some pieces on offense that can match what the defense has, but our offensive line is really, you know, what's going to determine how far we go. Because I think Tannehill is the real deal, White Wallace, Hartline. I think Miller, uh, given a good offensive line, you're not sure yet, but he's shown flashes that he could be that guy. Yeah, I, you, I completely, absolutely agree with you. I think that the, this draft coming up, the way that the team has to approach it, is either looking specifically offensive line, and depending on what happens with Stoli Ice Starks, you could say defensive tackle. And after that, it's pure best player available. What can we get? Does he push somebody to be a starter? Is he a depth guy? Whatever it is. Because you're right. They have all the pieces that they need. They just need people behind them to provide depth and to push for that starting job. Right. And 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 with the offensive line too, particularly in the in the the, the division that we're we're going to play in with the Jets being solid defensively, Buffalo getting a little better and you don't know what they'll be, but for long-term success, that interior 
um, offense and defensive line. I, I, I can't believe that they're going to let both those guys go, Sario and Starks. we got to have one of them. Yeah, I and I talked about this during the, uh, the, the Finn Cyber TV show this week. I think that it's going to be solely I. Um, I think that you keep that bigger guy that can play nose tackle type guy over Starks, even though if they keep both, I'm not going to argue it, but if you told me we could only keep one, I probably side towards Solii. Duke, I think, said that he would go Starks over Solii, but I think you're right that we have to keep at least one of them. Let let me ask you this, because I read the article about the salary cap. With with the the number being what it is, I think you said $36 or something to that effect, with the guys that we have to sign – how much how much real dollars do you think we'll have to go out for free agency beyond signing our own guys back? Meaning can we get a big splash or two with quality offensive line guy, maybe a safety guy where we can really say this is a signature <laughs> sign and that's gonna take us to the next level at one of those two positions. You, you probably see. You could probably see one good, good splash type guy. Duke, I'll let you take over from there. But my thought is probably one big splash guy. We would have the money for whether or not they do it. That's another thing. But I think they'd have the money for it. Well, and I, I think that I was actually thinking about the, the Trent Richardson trade today, and I read a. Uh, the article that Bill Simmons wrote about it, and it makes sense. And I was thinking about how how the Dolphins did things. Is that I believe Ireland and Philbin and this this little nucleus they want to build to the draft, and they want to build a uh, they want to build like that. However, they will put into a position where they're rebuilding around the young quarterback, but they needed to win sooner as opposed to what Cleveland is doing. I mean, Cleveland is going to go into this thing with a bunch of draft picks. They're going to end up with a quarterback high in the draft next year. They're going to start building, and they're going to have – that front office is going to have two to three years to to, to build and, and try to become successful. Miami didn't have that. There's no way this fan base or Stephen Ross is going to let, you know, another two to three years go by before we had a, a competitive team. So I believe that's why Jeff Ireland went out this offseason and made the moves he made. I don't think we're going to see another offseason like this. Right. Like we just had. I think what we're going to see is you will see um, – I think you'll see a lot of the, the free agent money that we have, the salary cap goes for re-signing our own players, as you've already seen with Jones and Nisi getting guys like that that they want to be under contract. I think you'll see um, some – some key on-team free uh, re-signings. And then I think they'll go out and they'll pick up guys that are available. I don't think there's going to be the urgency like there was this year. We had to get a guy like Wallace. We had to get, you know, Keller. We had to get some of these guys to to help build us off in. But let let me ask you this. Don't you think that the same sense of urgency that we had with Wallace and and those guys – we need to have that same sense of urgency now with the offensive line. I, I do, and I think they're going to attempt to – one, I think they're going to attempt to kind of uh, 
develop some of the players they have. Um, I think they're going to. I think you'll see Dallas Thomas get. Um, I think he'll get worked into a starting role next year. Um, mm-hmm. Hopefully at guard. I don't think he's a tackle. And I think you'll see them go out and, and try to get a tackle. And I think we're in a position, as you're talking about the draft, is that I think we can go after the best players available. Um, I think that's how Ilan attacked this past draft. He said he wanted Jordan, that's who he went up and got. So if there's an offensive tackle up there at the top, like Jake Matthews or someone that he wants to go out and get, I think he's going to try to make the moves to go do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, and, and, you know, if it were up to me, that would be where I would – that, that I would attack the draft would be trying to get get that offensive line beefed up because we have um, we have good starters at just about every position, and we've got some developmental players that we can use for backups at, at most of the other positions. Um, but at the same time, I mean, if there is a if, if they're sitting there, uh, you know, somewhere in the mid twenties in the draft, and there is a there's a stud wide receiver or somebody there that's you know, uh, take take that guy from was um, Mike Evans from from Texas A and M. Let's say he's sitting there when Miami's picking. Do you do you take an offensive lineman who may be lower on your board fits a need, or would you go after a guy like that who looks like a, you know could be a, a big time playmaker? So, you know, I think they're just gonna, I think they're going to make some moves in the draft to go after. Guys, they want, and if not, I think they're just going to take whoever's on the whoever they think is the best player on the board at the time, regardless of position. You know, right. you're not going to take a quarterback, obviously, but Listen, you know, something like that. Oh. Uh, one more question before I go: What 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 do you attribute Brandon uh, Gibson having a great game the first week, and then not necessarily missing, but not as productive? Because I believe that in the slot position with what the Dolphins are trying to do, Clay and Brandon Gibson have to be able to make plays to make Wallace go and Hartline go, and more importantly, the running game, because you get those linebackers dropping more to protect the middle, and now you have a better chance in the running game. So what do you think the Dolphins have to do with him to really – keep him an integral part of the offense to be able to open up all the other things. I think for for Gibson to really get going, and this will go back to the point we were just talking about, I think Tannehill is going to have to have a little more time in the pocket. Yeah, um, I agree. That post that I, I made this week showing that with the clay, with that big catch from clay, Tannehill received the snap and threw it in right about two seconds. Um, that was his initial read, and that's where he was going with it. In order for him to be able to work through the reads, he's going to need at least another second or two um, to, to do that. And I think that's going to help out. And I think probably what happened this week was it's just that, number one, they wanted to work Wallace into the game plan. And right, I, I agree with that. Of, I think he's the type of quarterback that he's going to take what the defense gives. And I think the defense was absolutely giving him giving everything to Wallace. Um, it seemed like to me, from what I was reading, that they try to take away Hartline. They wanted to say, let's see if Wallace can beat us on these, you know, on routes other than deep routes. And he did. And Tannehill found him. I don't think they respected Clay enough, and Tannehill found him. So I think what that hopefully means is that the Dolphins have some extra playmakers on there so that defenses can say, hey, we'll take away Charles Clay, but, oh, now he's got Gibson to throw to. Whereas in years past, we kind of had that one or two guys. Right, right, right. And if you right. take them out, 
and there's nobody else to fill the void. So I think I think it's gonna I think you're gonna see that a lot from different games. If the defenses are gonna try to take one guy out, like you saw in Cleveland. They made it their mission to take Mike Wallace out of the game. Harlan had nine catches, hundred and something yards and a touchdown. Uh, Indianapolis did the exact opposite. They took Harlan out. Uh, Mike Wallace had a big game. So I think you're gonna see I think you're gonna see that until uh you know, and that's just gonna be a matchup thing with, with Gibson giving these guys is just Sandhill's gonna look and see what the defense is giving him. And guys like Gibson, Clay, Wallace, all these guys, they're just gonna whoever's available at that time, Tannehill's gonna find them. So you know, I think yeah, I think to me that's what I think you're right Wallace, on there. Or, I'm sorry, I think you're right on there, Duke. I think that a big part of it was simply the Dolphins wanted to get Wallace involved early and then once Wallace got involved, I think Clay just became the forgotten guy for the um, for the defense, and they just let Tannehill to Clay work, and Gibson ended up being the guy that lost touches because of it. Um, I think you're right. I think he does need to be a big part of the offense because he does fill, even though he's never played it before, he does fill that Devon Best type role where you mm-hmm. need a third down or you need a first down on third down, okay, go be the possession-type receiver, even though he's not the big-bodied possession-type receiver you normally think right, of. Right, right, right. The guy that go out there and get you that first down. If, if you just had to say right now, long-term, are you up or down with um, Miller? I, I'm still up on him. Um I don't think he's shown us anything that has made me say he can't do it. But at the same time, he definitely has not shown anything that says he can either. I think that part of that is the offensive line still trying to figure it out and still trying to gel. Um, they, I don't About how that. much do you say is the offensive line? Duke, you have an answer for that one? I, I'm I'm probably fifty fifty right now. Um, it yeah, may be I think more. I think what, and I think uh, Evan Silva wrote a wrote an article on Roto World about some of the up and coming running backs, uh, their second year guys, and he wrote one on Miller. And one of the things that I found interesting was that they said he's not a he's never going to be the, the kind of guy that's going to get a lot of yards after contact. He's not going to be a guy that gets hit. And drags the guy three yards, and he's not going to be the type of guy that's going to uh, shake defenders off. That he's he's one of these. He finds the hole, he goes. When he gets hit, he goes down. So I think that kind of stuff is on him. Um, so when you see when the when the hole is not completely there, and you see him running, and he gets that four yards that that he can get out of it, that's it. You're not going to see a guy that's going to generate another two yards after that. Um, however, I do believe. So I would say the offensive line, I, I agree with Kevin, it's about 50-50. I think when they open up holes, he's got the talent, he can find it. The only thing, really, in my opinion, that holds me back from from saying he's, you know, 100% the guy is just that, um, he just you know, can he stay healthy for a full season? Can he do it for, can he get 250 carries a year and hold up season in and season out? Um you know, I think they want to use – in fact, I believe Daniel Thomas actually got more snaps last week, which some of that comes in pass protection. But I believe they kind of want to have a two-back system. 
And right now, Daniel Thomas just isn't isn't playing up to the level I think they want him to play. But I do believe in that kind of system where Miller is not the bell cow guy, where he's not going to get 20 carries a game, more of a 14 to 15 carry a game, and let somebody else take a load off of him. I think he's a guy that can be really productive. So um, I, I and, really hope that the uh, what is it, jealousy? I, I, I really hope that he can block, man, because I just don't think Daniel Thomas is the answer. He we, he's had opportunity. I know he blocks well um, during the goal line. He runs pretty tough, but I just don't think that he is the guy to be your second guy where Miller gets twelve hundred and he gets seven hundred or six hundred yards. I, I think that he's go. He just is who he is, and hopefully that's the position that we can upgrade at if the guy from Florida is not the answer. Yeah, and I think the problem with Daniel Thomas really is just where he where and how he was drafted. I mean, he is basically just your typical ordinary back. If Miami had taken him in the fifth round, I don't think anyone would care about exactly. his production right exactly. now. Well, we traded up for the second round to pick him, so there's higher expectations. And then he has those games where, you know, like the first couple of games of his career, you know, he broke out and averaged five yards to carry, and we thought, hey, guy's the deal. And he's, he's not done that yet. And, you know, he just has those moments where he'll pick up a 10-yard run, and you think, that's what I want to see from him. And then the next run, he just plows in the, plows in the first defender that's, that's there and gets dropped for a loss. So he... he he has those head scratcher plays, and you know, honestly, if he was a fifth round pick, I don't think Dolphins would be like, "Man, this guy's a bust, or this guy's terrible." They would just be like, "Eh, well, you know, he's a fifth round pick. You know, we'll make do until the next draft or something." But there's just higher expectations on him; he's not living up to. I do believe Gillisley is a better, is more talented, and I think as soon as he gets, as soon as he gets. Uh, Kind of gets used to the league. I think. I think they'll be. He'll be the guy to replace him. Hopefully, that helps us with the salary cap. Uh, I know he's still under Thomas is still under his rookie salary cap, so it won't help that much. But I, 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 I agree with you that part of the frustration is where he drafted at. But at the end of the day, the Dolphins have to make decisions. No matter what, where we drafted him, can he play? And we can't hold on to guys like a lot of teams do. Well, we drafted him in the second round, so let's, you know, save face by keeping him to be a backup. you got to cut your losses. Because, again, I just believe that our window is right here where we can sell into the elite teams. Uh Uh-huh. Kyle. Kyle, can you hear me? Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. And it's the same like thing as what you're talking about with Gillisley. You know, he's a fifth-round pick. So if he came in and did the exact same thing that Thomas is doing, people wouldn't be as upset about it simply because of his draft position. But I believe we've seen from Jeff Island that he's not afraid to cut bait with with players that don't live up to to their potential. I mean, he got rid of Pat White after one year, got rid of uh, Patrick Turner after one year, Um Clyde Gates after one year. If these guys don't, or two seasons, sorry. You know, if these guys don't cut it, you know, that that's it. So, 
I think they've seen enough in Thomas that they think he can be something. But if he doesn't show it, I mean, he's as good as gone. They're not. I don't think this. I don't think this front office is, is afraid to, to do that. I mean, they've been willing to make say, hey, you know, we took this guy. He's a mistake. We shouldn't have drafted him. Let's move on. Yeah, I think you're right exactly on that. I think that they see something in uh, in Thomas that they want to keep him around, but I don't think that they're going to keep him around longer than he's usable. And if they determine after this year that he's not feasible anymore, he ends up getting cut and somebody else will sign him because he – he does have the blocking ability. He does have the ability to get you some yardage. And, I mean, Ronnie Brown is still in the league. So, I think that Daniel Thomas would be able to stay in the league somewhere. But if it comes down to Gillisley's looking good, Lamar Miller's looking good, I think those are your top two running backs next year if they both pan out and Daniel Thomas has moved on. Yeah, hey, well, I love the show, you guys. I read the page, the blog every day, man. You guys keep up the great work. Well, thank you very much, and thank you very much for calling in. Call in again anytime. We're here every Friday night. Hey, I'll talk to you guys soon. Yep, good night. Good night. And there's something I'm going to bring up uh, that I read this week that I found interesting. It has to do a lot with, with what his first point was about kind of how we're approaching the draft and free agency. And I think I found this on National Football Post, and it's by um, I think you pronounce the name Jack Becta, and he, it was his three observations or predictions and trends. And he says he says the league is headed for a two-tiered system. We may be close to being there already, but the middle class of the players is disappearing. We're looking at a roster makeup of five highly paid players, and the rest of the team making the minimum. The He's saying that this is a good or a bad thing, but as an agent, I think it's bad. Owners are pushing their GMs and salary cap managers to reward just a handful of players and get the rest from the draft and undraft free agent pool. And I kind of agree with that. I think you're moving, especially kind of the way quarterback contracts are going now, you're seeing the quarterback taking the majority. If he's a franchise guy, he's going to take the majority of your salary cap. You're going to have three or four other players after that that are big money players, and then everybody else is going to be these draft picks. And I know it's been brought up on the site, and I think personally it's kind of a bad idea. But, you know, people talk about, well, with the Jake Long things, well, you get a guy, let's say uh, Joe uh, Johnson Martin turns into a franchise left tackle. He becomes the best left tackle in football. You know, wherever his contract runs out, he's going to want 9 to $10 million a year. And if they don't, if they've already got that money tied up in a shutdown corner and a big time wide receiver, they're going to draft a guy to replace him simply because they don't want to pay him. And I think that's what you're going to see. So I think this big free agent spree that we had is going to be kind of a one time deal. I think we'll still go out and pick up guys in free agency, but I don't think you're going to see this these you know big name players go out and get these big contracts anymore because teams are trying to look at. We're going to put our money in quarterbacks, one or two other players, and then everything else is going to be these young guys making small-time money. So, you know, and I, and I think that this – I don't think this team is necessarily doing that because of the money. I mean, I think 
Uh, Stephen Ross has shown that you know he's not afraid to spin to make his team good. I think it's just the way it's happening. I think it, you know it's more about you know hey let's not keep Richard Marshall on the team making four million or five million a year when we've got Jamar Taylor even though he's not seen the field yet and and Will, Will Davis that's what it's about is yeah having Marshall around looks good now because with the depth but at the same time he's like you know. He's making money that we don't want to, we don't want to spend on him. So, I don't know. I, th- I think we're just going to see. I think what's really going to have to happen, not only drafting these young players, but you know, if he was talking about you know getting into this, getting into the um, our, our window to where we can compete, is it's also about developing guys. Because if we are being competitive and we are making the playoffs, we're going to be drafting in the lower part of the first round and every other round. So we're not going to get these, you know, Deion Jordan picks or Ryan Tannehill picks. We're going to get, you know, the, the bottom bottom of the round kind of guys. And so it's, it's going to be how well can we scout these guys and how well can we develop these guys. I think that was part of the problem that we saw with Indianapolis was Peyton Manning was so good, he kept that team afloat for years, and they put some decent players around him, but he just elevated the play of everyone. And when he left, they went 2-14. And, and, you know, I think you, you might see some of that with the Patriots and some of these other teams that have these elite quarterbacks moving toward the end of their careers. You know, these teams have, have not been able to draft high to get these elite blue-chip prospects. And so now, you know, it's going to be how quickly these, they can develop players. So I think that's the key. If we can see this coaching staff develop players, some of these, you know, later around us, like guys like Derek Shelby. I mean, if you can develop that guy into a starter, you know, that that's a positive thing because even under that free agent, that's you know you know, that that what that means is now you don't have to go out and get a guy in, in free agency or draft a guy that high necessarily because you can develop them. So, you know, hopefully we can we can see that with this team. You know, we've had coaching staffs before that just weren't good at developing. And I think we may have we may have one now that can, and that is going to be crucial because you know if we are being competitive and making the playoffs, we're not going to have these high draft picks, and so we're going to need we're going to need to develop, I guess you know lower caliber players than what I guess Miami's used to, uh, or in, in the in an area Miami's not used to drafting. Yep, absolutely. Um, we did get a question on Twitter from some guy. James McKinney, I think is his name. It's at Texas Cowpunk. I, he's a rancher or something, I guess, from that name. Um, he asked, what is this podcast thing all about? Well, James, I'm assuming you're listening since you are tweeting to us during the show. But uh, so that you know, this podcast, what it's designed for is we have some older guys within our contributors group who – think that they're young enough to be going out on Friday night because they're still single, but they're old. So we moved this to Friday night just to keep them in so that the actual young people out there don't get embarrassed by the old guy that's out there trying to look cool still. So that's the point of the podcast. Uh, <laughs> in, a, in, a, in an effort to go ahead and abide by uh, site rules on the podcast, I, I will not comment any further. <laughs> <laughs> but for those of you who are not tracking, 
James is the old guy and the producer on the show. So <laughs> that's why I'm having a little fun right now. Uh, I'm not that old. I know, but you're old. <laughs> I'm older. <laughs> I'm old, and you're older than me, so that makes you old. But, yeah, but I'm not old. I'm not as old as like half the site, so I've got that going te- for me. Technically, technically, Kevin, you're the youngest guy on the podcast. So, I, I yeah, that's true. I am. <laughs> Until Keith calls in, then it just ruins everything. <laughs> I don't think I don't think Keith was alive when Marino like actually was breaking records and stuff. But <laughs> so now. <laughs> Now I'm calling James super old, and I'm calling Keith super young, and Keith's not even here to defend himself, so I should probably just stop. <laughs> but I just found that a funny tweet from you, James. What's this podcast thing all about? <laughs> but, um, I'm looking through the uh, the uh, live thread again, and we got a question from 56 on what's going on with all our players and all these groin injuries. Um, Since I dumped him, I guess I'll go ahead and answer his question, even though we already talked it earlier. But, again, since he is apparently listening in now, I didn't mean to dump you. It was completely an accident. I put it over the little X to dump you, but wasn't pushing it yet, and managed to hit it anyway. So I am dumped you early. But... um, I, I figured that's what it was that's what had just popped up. But the groin the groin injury uh question I just think it's a matter of the the condensed practice schedules of training camp and the preseason. These guys now go out into the regular season and try to be more explosive than they were in training camp with the fewer practices, and it ends up hamstrings and groins end up uh, end up pulled. And magically, after being dumped, 56 is back on the air with us. So, hey, what's up, man? Hey, what's up? Hey, what's up with uh, knocking me out like that, Kevin? <laughs> <laughs> I did. I moved, I moved the cursor over the little X. And I thought my finger was far enough off the touchpad, and apparently it wasn't. And yeah, you were just gone. It's, 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 it's Rick's podcast like, hazing. Just because I was about like hair dye and stuff. All right. Well, you answered the groin injury, so I won't go there again. So now something else. This was I actually wanted to ask this on the Wednesday um, show, but I didn't get the chance to ask. This is some. This is about the Patriots. So I'm thinking this is the the best chance we have to win the division, right, with the weekend Patriots and all that stuff. They're receiving his crap, and Tom Brady's having emotional breakdowns and stuff. So here's the thing. I saw earlier on NFL Network that Gronk is being upgraded to questionable. Now that got me yeah. to thinking. What, how, much of one, how much of an impact can just one player have? I mean, I know that Gronk and Brady are like their best friends on the field and stuff like that, and they throw to each other and all that stuff. And I'm thinking, how much of an impact could one Gronk or one Danny Amon Payne Dola do for the Patriots receiving core? Well, I it, think it's Gronk, kind of the same. I, I think the same kind of principle is 
I'll let you Mike go Wallace. Do you got it. All right. I'll just say it's the same principle as Mike Wallace being on the field. You know, we saw that last year with, you know, with, ten, uh, with uh, Hartline and Best being our top receivers. Even though, uh, even though Wallace only caught one pass in week one, he completely opened up the defense for the other guy. And those guys took advantage. So I think that's what you, you know, that would be my response to that would just be, you know, he's going to, he's a guy that you have to game plan for and that you can dictate, you know, he's going to dictate what defenses do the same way Mike Wallace does. You know, he's a guy that's going to force those linebackers to, and, and say you play a certain way that they don't have to now, and that gives the, the Patriots an advantage. I think that's yeah, part that's, of it. I think you also have, um, you give Brady a comfort. Now he's not out there feeling like nobody can catch his pass. He drops back, and even if he never looks at Gronk on that play, he knows there is a guy out there that if I have to just dump this ball off, he's going to be there. And you saw it with a lot of these. Uh, I was watching, I think it was on NFL Network. It may have been on, no, you know what? It was on ESPN. It was one of either Insiders or uh, NFL Live or whatever show it happened to be. They were showing Flacco and how he was throwing balls before the receiver was even making his cut. And that comes from, reputa- or from uh, repetitions and from chemistry and from confidence in that receiver that he's going to cut exactly where you think he's going to cut. Brady doesn't have that with any of these guys right now. He has no confidence that they're going to be where he thinks they're going to be. Gronk gives him that. Gronk gives him just that little bit of com- that little bit of confidence that he doesn't have otherwise, and I think that's a big part of what happens. Is he gets confident that somebody out there is in the right spot, and you'll see him start to take a little bit more chances with the other guys. Yeah, I, it's just it's funny to me that like most of the time it's like, oh, I'm Tom Brady, I'm per- Hello. Yep, you're still there for a second there. I, I thought I heard the the little uh, the little late recorded lady start talking again. I'm like, did I get cut off again, man? <laughs> Not yet. Please, <laughs> Kevin. <laughs> All right. Anyway, I think I was just thinking it's funny because you always get this air of Tom Brady's so perfect. He acts like I I can't make mistakes. I'm I look good doing everything I do. I'm on every commercial. I'm the I'm the perfect quarterback, and then well, he's funny. He's not on every commercial. I think Peyton has that record. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you know, he's been around longer. Although it feels like Brady's yeah. been around forever, and it drives me nuts. And, and you know, that's I think part of that just comes with with just you know reputation because they've been so good for so long. I mean, how many people did we see and read? You know, before the season started, like, well, you know, the Dolphins built this team, blah, 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 but the Patriots still have Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. And it's kind of like this. And now suddenly Washington, yeah, they're 2-0, but they, they look, you know, like, hey, they're not really – they don't look that good out there. So people are starting to question a little bit, but they're, they're still like, you know what, until until it can be it can be done, a team knock Brady out of out, off that perch, you know, they've still got to go with that. I was thinking about something like that today – about the very first game of the year, I think just about all of the ESPN guys on their NFL picks that you see on the website, I think most all like one or two picked the Browns. And then last week there was like four, three or four that picked the, the Dolphins over the Colts. This week 
against Atlanta, a team that was in the NFC Championship game last year, they, you know, it's, it's split. It's about even. So, you know, when Miami starts getting that respect, uh, the Tom Brady has, and you'll see, you know, you'll see some of that same kind of stuff. Like, hey, you know, that, you know, so and so out, but hey, they still got Ryan Tannehill, and then when so and so comes back, it's going to be that much better. It's just it's going to be the same principle. I mean, you'll see the same thing with with Manning or anybody else. It's just, you know, like Kevin was saying, it's a, it's a guy they're comfortable with. And, yeah, I mean, there's some there's still some issues, but they just get the benefit of the doubt because they've been good for so long. So that's kind of where we help the Dolphins to get to a point where they can say, you know what, you know, someone throws out, but they still got a guy that can get the job done. And when that person comes back, they're going to be great. You know, I don't know why, but I was watching first take this morning and Skip decided to pick the Dolphins. That makes me nervous. Really, it does. Oh, Skip, Skip is very notorious for jinxing whoever he picks. On the same line, uh, <laughs> I read the Bill Simmons picks today, and he was all about some Miami. And I was like, you know, I guess it's just because it's not been good for so long. It's just being skeptical. Like, you know, maybe we do have a real team. But I don't like that everybody else knows it. It's just so funny that people are like yep. the media doesn't give the Dolphins respect, and when they do, it makes everybody nervous. Um, yeah. <laughs> so he was like, "The Dolphins are real. I shouldn't. Have, I gave the play, I, you know my predictions. I gave Baltimore their playoff spot. And they're the real deal. And they're really good." And I'm like, "Is he trying to reverse jinx us or something?" Like, yeah, what right. That's what he always does. So I mean, I was sitting there thinking, I was sitting there reading like, you know, is this too good to be true? I mean, if we go out and win this week. You know, we go out and blow them out of the water or something. Hey, it'll be great, but you know, I, it, it's just you know I want us to at least earn it before we get all this praise and stuff. So I don't know. It's it's just funny to see well, guys. You see us picking. You know, at the beginning of the season, no one would have picked Dolphins over no. Atlanta, and now no one did. Now it's an even split. It's kind of weird. Yeah. But I take it back. One guy did. Dog. We're coming up on the end of the show, so. I'm going to uh, go ahead and let you hang up rather than dump you out. But uh, (laughs) thanks for calling in a second time. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Thanks, and you have a good night. All right, you too, Uh, guys. Thanks. Yep. Go around the horn real quick, guys. Any last thoughts on your mind, Uh, Duke? You know, I've been thinking about the, um, the Trent Richardson trade, and the more I think about it, the more I think that, I don't think Cleveland necessarily should have, should have given up on, on uh, Richardson or Whedon that quickly, but I don't think if the move was as bad as everyone's making it out to be. I don't think Trent Richardson is an elite back where he was chosen to be one, and I think Indianapolis may have given up a little too much for for him. Um, so, you know, just, just going back and looking at that trade, I think Cleveland might, might – just might come out as a winner of that one. Yeah, I think I think it will be a good trade for Cleveland in the end. I, I do because running back. I mean, Trent Richardson is a great running back. He was probably worth a top five pick, but it's running back at the same time. So, in the end, getting a first round pick back for a running back is a great thing. They're going to end up picking somewhere in the top five, top three, maybe top one. So. They they're going to be sitting pretty. I mean, they really are. Well, so. and, and my thought was, 
I mean, I know it doesn't necessarily help Indianapolis now, but the Browns just signed Willis McGahee. Is Trent Richardson that much yep. better than what Willis McGahee could give him this year, plus a guy they could have drafted with their first-round pick next year? That's true. So, I mean, you could have made do this year, kept your first-round pick, picked up a guy next year that may be even better than Richardson. So, I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's a gamble either way, but... You know, first I was kind of shocked, and now I'm kind of like, you know, you need, you need to have given it a little too much. Yep, I think so. Uh, James, anything left on your mind? No, sir. Okay, you're just thinking of how quickly you can get out of the house after this thing's over? <laughs> no. <laughs> but Not this okay. evening. Uh, okay, my last, my last thought for tonight is just the fact that this is the Dolphins' home opener. Uh, get out there if you possibly can. Go support that team. Um, they, After what they did the first two weeks, they deserve at least this first game to when they come running out of that tunnel to hear that stadium rocking. And it's not something we've heard very often in the, in the recent past. So it, this team is looking good. This team is looking like they could actually do something. And hopefully the fans will respond this weekend and give them that at least that satisfaction of running through that tunnel and feeling those chills as Sun Life Stadium, Joe Robbie Stadium, Pro Player Park, uh, what else, Dolphin Stadium, um, I'm forgetting something in there somewhere, uh, Landshark Stadium, um, whatever else name it has, as it gets loud. And obviously it's not going to be Seattle loud, but we can can definitely rock with that stadium. my, my season tickets, there will be two people sitting in my season tickets, even though uh, it won't be me. But So I, I, I did my part as best I could to make sure that there were people there to cheer for the Dolphins. So uh, let's be loud. The other thing I was going to say is remember, since this is the first, um, first home game of the regular season, remember the all-clear bag rule. Uh, you cannot take bags into the stadium. It has to be clear if you are taking a bag, and it's Six inches by 12 inches by six inches, I think, is the size. Um, Everything can go into that clear bag, but it has to be clear. Uh, You can take a hand-sized, and I heard it as four inches by six inches or by seven inches, something weird like that, uh, clutch bag in. So basically a purse the size of a hand. It can have a shoulder or wrist strap. But those are the the rules. Make sure that if you're going there, don't take a bag up to the gate and expect to get it in because they're not going to let you. You're going to have to check it, and then you're going to have a long line as you try to leave the stadium where you have to go get your now-checked bag. So remember, clear bag. Um, If you don't have one, the other option is a gallon-sized Ziploc bag, as stupid as that sounds. Um, So those are your options to make sure that you have a bag to get things in. And don't be that person that walks up to the gate and looks stupid because you didn't know that there was a all-clear bag hole. Uh, if Medically, if you need one, I don't remember which gate it is, unfortunately, off the top of my head. But one of the gates will let you in with medical necessity bags. Um, you just have to go over there and have them search the bag. But it's clear bags. Now, granted, from what I have heard from other stadiums, they're still going to look in your bag, even though it's clear. 
So I'm not really sure what the clear bag does, but that's just from other stadiums. Maybe Miami realizes that you can look through the bag and see everything in it because it's clear. But that's just me. Um, Yeah, so make sure you remember clear bags, as annoying as that's going to be this year. Uh, The game game is just about sold out, isn't it? I think that they are at, what is on my seat, 72,000? I think it's 72,000 in it, and I think I heard that they're right at 70. So I think there's like 2,000 seats. They are over the sellout threshold because they're still using the 85% threshold. But I think there's something like 2,000 seats, which are probably upper end zone or upper sideline bowl. I'm not sure where, but I think that's what the count was last I heard. And that was a couple days ago, so it may be down to – hundreds of seats left instead of thousands. But yeah, it's 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 it is already ruled a sellout, I believe, but it is not physically sold out. So if you can get there, get there, go support the team, go make some noise, go get some new uh Dolphins memorabilia because it all has a new logo on it and you'll be there at the stadium and you can do it. Not that I'm telling you to go spend your money for the Dolphins, but I'm just saying, hey, it's an option because you'll be there. So, <laughs> uh, everybody that called in, we had a bunch of callers tonight. Um, let's see, Reggie, Finn Fan for Life, uh, 56 called in twice. Uh, James, did I miss anybody? No. I, I felt like there was one more, but I can't remember for sure. So, thank you guys for calling in. Everybody in the live thread and on Twitter, thank you for joining in. And... The chat room, there are a whole bunch of people in there, but people aren't using it yet, so we'll keep trying it. If you guys don't like it, it doesn't have to happen. But there is a chat room on Blog Talk Radio for the show. When you log into the uh, page to listen to the show, if you just scroll down a little bit further, it's right there. And you can hit us up that way, too. So we will be back Wednesday night with the Finsider TV at 9 Eastern, and then we'll be back Friday night with the podcast at 10 Eastern. So... Wednesday's 9 Eastern for the Finsider TV, 10 Eastern Friday nights for Finsider Podcast. Thanks, guys. You too. Thank you. And everybody have a good night. Good night. Good night. Now at O'Reilly Auto Parts, pick up a bottle of Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale for $7.99. Plus, earn double O Rewards points. Help your engine run smoother and last longer with Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale now at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supplies. See store for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Amazon has everything for back to school. Zebra lunchbox? Check. Cool Adidas gear like t-shirts, shoes, and backpacks? Check. Triceratops folders and pencils? Check. Lasercat t-shirts? Check. Get your back to school shopping done now at Amazon.com slash back to school and enjoy free shipping on millions of items. No need to leave your home or hassle with crowds. Amazon.com. No better place to get everything back to school from A to Z. 
Hello, I'm Ashley Carmen. I'm Caitlin Tiffany. We're the hosts of Why'd You Push That Button, the Verge's show about all the choices technology forces us to make. We're back for season three, talking about questions like, why do you delete your tweets? And why do you type in lowercase letters that make you seem like a serial killer? And why are you on an exclusive dating app? You're not that special. We're releasing a new episode every Wednesday, and you can find this anywhere you typically find podcasts, which is Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts. So go ahead and subscribe and check us out. Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it. Then, in that moment, you don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done, and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of, like, afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts. Hello, I'm Neil Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts.